It's Vaxi's musical podcast. It's hard to imagine which one is the bigger honor. Winning your third Grammy Award or being on Baxi's musical podcast for the third time. I'm going to guess that it's probably the Grammy, but I don't want to just jump to conclusions. The fact of the matter is Cheryl Pavelski has been a guest in this podcast on three separate occasions. That's more than any other guest. I've had a few people have been on here more than once, but nobody's been on here three times. And I don't know if that's because most of my other guests have learned their lesson or if it's because none of them have accomplished what Cheryl has accomplished but only the stuff that it truly believes in. And then there are times when Cheryl has found herself in the middle of repackaging the definitive collection of a bona fide masterpiece. In particular, she's been involved in the 20th anniversary release of Wilco's landmark 2002 album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. This is a record that has been almost universally revered as one of the great recordings of the 21st century. And so with its 20th anniversary, Cheryl Pavelski was handed the job of putting together the super deluxe retrospective of the album with Wilco's Jeff Tweedy, whose legendary backstory is almost as amazing as the record itself. It's an exhaustive collection that was so beautifully put together that Cheryl earned her third Grammy Award, and she deserved it. What makes me most proud of having Cheryl back on the podcast is that I have literally known her since we were both freshmen at Marquette University back in the 80s. We have literally known each other for almost 39 years, and that's why it is always my pleasure to welcome back my very good friend, Cheryl Pavelski, from Omnivore Recordings on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Here. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Hello. How you been? All right. Oh, you know, um, I've been in catch-up mode. Because, um, you know, when you lose a week and a half to, you know, I, I, the, the whole Grammy Schmageggy is like a, a week of things. But I hadn't seen a lot of people for three or four years, you know. They had um, the pre-COVID Grammys were in New York and I had no reason to go. Right. Post-COVID Grammys got moved to Vegas. I certainly didn't want to go there. So, um, you know, and COVID year, I, I actually won in our living room here in Portland. <laughs> so it was um, besides business meetings for Omnivore and seeing, you know, hundreds of people. It was just I am um, I'm almost slept up again. So. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm I'm fine. I'm I'm doing I'm doing really good. Of course, you know, I'm not good. I'm not winning Grammys, but I'll tell you what, if if I had people knocking on my door for meetings, I'd have like a Grammy door knocker, I'd have uh, <laughs> a, su- a suggestion box, uh, Miss Pavelski will see you now, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> no, that's my wife. She's the president. That's oh, how th- yes. that's how she gets treated. <laughs> Me, I just sit here in this room and talk to you. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you took the time to do it. It's great. It's always yeah. great to talk to you. And um, it's fun. I like the idea of when a, winning a, I win a Grammy, I get to talk to back. <laughs> you know, that's like a carrot. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Because and, and I'm sure that's why you're winning. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I get to talk to Bax. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't need to do anything with Wilco or anything. That other thing. Bax is going to be calling me. Be, I love be, it. Before I really get into the uh, into the Grammys, like, I, I got to ask you a very important question that's been uh, burning a 
a hole in my consciousness for like about a week or two. Did oh, you or did you not make the $150 donation to the Marquette Alumni Fund for a complimentary pair of Marquette sweat socks like everybody else did? I did not ah. because uh, two reasons. <laughs> two reasons. Um, I already have a pair of Marquette socks. Ah, okay. And second, um, I give a a different amount at a different time. That's- that makes sense? It, it, it does make sense. It does make sense. I did. I, I'm glad to know I was not the only one that turned down that opportunity of a lifetime for Marquette Sox. But right. uh, I think that you would find that my alumni donations are scattered at best and mm-hmm. remarkably underwhelming. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 I can understand that. Um, mine were that way for a long time. And um, when uh, our lives got exceptionally complicated i started putting all of these things i have (laughs) spreadsheets of bills to pay and things so i just slotted it in and Mm -hmm. i'm like and now i just it's like going to the doctor right i'm after this call i have to schedule my annual physical i'm like you know so it's just like that's how i feel about all these things it's like but i just do it yeah well bring the grammy to the doctor's office maybe they'll get you seen faster because everybody wants to see the grammy you know, so many people are underwhelmed. I'm like, but now I have three, you know, and nobody cares. Anyway. Anyway. We digress. Yes. So you were up against four other nominees for this Grammy, including one which was long overdue, a uh, Blondie box set, which they've been talking about yep. for 15 years at least, putting that thing together. Yep. Tell me about that night. I mean, did you, did you feel good going into this? Or, I mean, or do you not even think about your possibilities of winning of course you do i mean (laughs) everybody tries to you know you can't not think about you know uh sort of gaming it out in your head but this year was hard extraordinarily hard because um i had you know my main mastering engineer and dear friend michael graves and my friends at numero group and my friend steve rosenthal they did the blondie box and the the first two I it's it sounds it even sounds weird to say the first two Grammys I won um I I won with Mike you know he's my main guy and now we were against each other and it was horrible I you know the 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 first thing I I you know when I the smoke cleared and I I texted him I'm like let's never do this again (laughs) because (laughs) you know it's like no no matter who won or lost it it just you know it was like the little rain cloud came over because we're like man <laughs> you know, like, um but you know it's it's it, this year especially i didn't know you know i didn't feel like there were any front runners and you know the category is such a disparate category you know we had uh uh super early influential west coast hip hop Versus Glenn Gould's uh, Goldberg Variations from 1981, his last recordings, which was an absolutely beautiful set. You know, a career overview of Doc Watson, Blondie Box, and then Wilco. And none of those things make sense together. <laughs> you know? um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's like a real apples and oranges type of category. Yeah, and it's really interdisciplinary. You know, like if, if you know, you have best jazz ensemble, everything tends to make a little more sense you know in in our category um you know it's how good are the liner notes even though there's a liner note category how how good is the art direction design and packaging even though there is a category 
how historic is it? How well researched is it? You know, I mean, there's so many things that go into it. You know, it, it feels like the only baseline thing is is how good is the restoration and mastering. So it was it's a it's a difficult category. It sounds like it, but on the other hand, I mean you're talking about, you know, an album that is pretty transcendent and is yeah. like almost universally revered. To yeah. to the point where many people look at Wilco's Yankee Hotel Foxtrot as being maybe one of the great albums of, of this century. And I don't think that's hyperbolic. I mean, people really truly have elevated this album to to that status. As yeah. a fan of that record, tell me about the significance of it to you, because I don't think you can take this kind of project on without really loving this record. Yeah, um, that's a really good question. You know, the the you know a you know I've been a fan of this band before they were this band. I was a fan of their bands before this band, right? So. Right. Uh, history has caught up to me now you know i'm no longer working on stuff that's 50 years old it's like oh um you know i am feeling a little historical now <laughs> you know but you know with that comes um certainly a whole lot of perspective and everything changed on this record so i you know besides loving the record and besides being a fan of it in real time i was already working in the music business when this record came out right, right. so but everything in the music business was changing so you have the change from analog to digital technology and that played a big role in this record because there were CDRs that Glenn had because he joined the band during this time, the drummer. Mm -hmm. And um they had they comped up stuff for him to probably learn the songs, but they had no recording information on them. They were just CDRs. And there were mini discs and there were dats and there were cassettes and there was analog tape and there was digital multi-track. You know, it was like you could really see the arc of uh analog to digital recording happening here. And so that's one of the things that was changing. The band was changing. Jay left, Ken left, Glenn came in. So you, you have that all going on. And then working in the business at the time, I knew that they had been dropped by their record label on this record. You know, that Reprise Records said, we don't like this, you know, and Reprise was changing at the time. And then 9-11 happened. And then the whole world changed. So this record to me is this really interesting hinge point in time in in every aspect of it, including Jeff's writing. You know, I mean, Jeff, Jeff and Jay, um, you know, as I said, they'd been in so many bands before all the guys had. Um, but, you know, their their songwriting was reading, reaching a maturation point where they were really striving and really trying to go beyond just being like a rock band. So yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a real hinge point in time. When I got the record and it was probably a few years after it came out, but, uh, but at the time, you know, people were, you know, talking about its greatness and, uh, admittedly it took me probably two or three times to get through it, to really yeah. start to understand it because it's, yeah. it's, it's a very experimental album you know in in some ways it's sparse and very complicated but it's also very it's one of those albums that the only way i can describe it is it's like it gets better over time not just from song one to the end of the, the album but it's like one of those rare moments where yeah 
with each year, it feels more essential and it feels more relevant. Right. And I, I, I can't think of any, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are albums in which that happens, but there are very, very few that do. And this happens to be one of them. It's like the first time you hear it say, well, that's nice. And by you know, three or four times, you're like, okay, I'm ready to take a bullet for Jeff Tweedy. It's, it's like one yeah. of those types of maturations that I think people, you know, gravitate. And I think that's what made this thing such a, such a remarkable piece of art. Yeah, I agree. And I, you know, I can, I, I think you can see pieces of that writing starting all the way back to being there. You know, Summer Teeth was a little bit of a left turn and just, just, um, you know, like Uber produced, <laughs> but I, I, I started, you know, you can start getting whiffs of, of where Yankee's going to go all the way back to being there. And, um, my favorite artists, are uh, continually changing, right? And continually challenging themselves and and therefore their audience. And so sometimes it's hard to find an entry point, but you know, when, when people talk about records being growers, you know, like if you can find that one entry point into a record and it, it you know, it could be anything. It could be, you know, what's the weather outside and, and the, the sound of that song just hits you the right way. And then suddenly you're into the record, right? To, for me, I just feel like, you know, Wilco's one of those artists where every record is like that, you know, I, and, and some of my, a lot of my other favorite artists are like that. And I just sort of now, anything that any of my favorite artists put out, I just go get and I listen to. And even if I'm like, hmm, whatever, you know, I just, I, I'll go back to it a bunch of times, same experience you, you had, right? Where, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, and then you're obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think this record did that for a lot of people. Yeah. I, I think that that does happen. You know, there, yeah. there've been a number of times where I, I, I listen to something knowing that it, that people find this to be great. And I right. want to find out what that thing is. And I've done that a number of times where it's, it's taken effort <laughs> to get yeah. into, but once, yeah. it, once it hits, it's like, it, it doesn't let go. Like, I mean, for me, like a, a band, like the fall would be a good example. Yeah. You, you either get it or you're never going right. to get it. And right. if you get it, it's it's like a companion piece for the rest of your life. It's not going away. Yeah. Or or some people, you know, I, I call it difficult listening hour. Right. <laughs> you know? Uh, or, you know, some people talk about, you know, a guy like Richard Thompson, you know, it's sort of like, well, he's an acquired taste. And I'm like, no, I you know, you just if if you, you take a bunch of his records and you put them in the car eventually and just you know, you're, you're doing something else. You're driving, you're trying not to crash into things. So it's this, the, you know, it's not deliberate listening. It's, it's a little bit more of an ambient experience. Eventually you're going to hear that one thing. And then, you, you know, you're in on Richard Thompson for life. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, right. and, and you're welcome. And I'm sorry. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I would imagine, you know, as the 20th anniversary of this record comes around, there's, there's gotta yeah. be a million people that want to be involved in this project or the, or the idea of this project, they may not know how much they have to go through to get there, but it yeah. fall, but, but suddenly it falls into, into your lap. How, how did you get involved in this? Because Jeff Tweedy could have taken this anywhere. I've been, um, I've been doing their catalog stuff, I think since they've done catalog stuff. So the first things that um, I think it was the alpha Mike Foxtrot, sort of b-sides rarities box set and uh what's your 20 they did like kind of a 20th anniversary of the band best there there'd never been just sort of like a general best of overview thing so um 
I was asked to do those. You know, it's just, if, if you hang around in this business long enough, you know, you find your people. <laughs> and, um, you know, some of their people and I had worked together for a long time in, in other capacities. And so, you know, it was just kind of, I don't know if it was deliberate on, uh, I mean, it was deliberate to ask me to do those things, but we've just sort of seemed to keep, keep, they keep asking me to do them. <laughs> so, you know, then we did AM and being in there and summer teeth. And then, you know, this, this was next and, and people keep asking me, you know, well, are you going to do ghost next? And I'm like, I don't have the master plan. You know, if, right. if they call me, I'll be grateful because I truly love that record. And I know the fans are are huge fans of that record. But this one, I was I was happy to get the call. I was happy that I was sitting still for the better part of two years because I really <laughs> it was some um, it was it was a, a large amount of material and listening and um, very critical close listening. So um, the silence of the world during COVID was helpful to me. Um, I mean, I lived inside that record for about two years and in almost exclusively. And it was in, it was intense. <laughs> well, the, the enormity of material, like you said, you're, you're going through many different formats to get to yeah. what you finally put into this. It's 11 pieces of final 80 some <laughs> odd songs or you know, yeah. remixes or unissued. unissued tracks. I mean, it, I mean, it the enormity of this sounds like what do you choose to put in and what do you choose to leave out i mean i have to assume there's stuff that didn't go in oh there's piles of it but you know it's when when you're going through you know sort of the debris of a record <laughs> you know <laughs> you know it's the record is one thing the live show is another thing you know um uh we've been remastering everything with bob ludwig so i knew the remaster was going to be with him the live show you know had a certain set of criteria um, you know, I always try to find one that's kind of not been bootlegged or circulating too much and, and really is a good representation of the band on the tour for that record. Um, everything else, you know, like I said, there was so many disparate sources that it was hard to, the biggest brain teaser on this one was trying to lay it out chronologically. And it was impossible to do that because, not because the recording sessions were a mess they they happen any the way they normally would but because of all the disruptions in the band and um the stopping and starting of of certain mixing processes there was all this other stuff mm. and it was on all different sorts of media and so i can't trace it all um and it, you know in the giant book we we have a conversation with jim o'rourke because he uh wound up mixing it and so much changed in the mix that you know i can't tell you what the bones of some of the songs are from the original recording sessions because they removed so much and recorded on top of it you know in the in the book jeff says it's basically a wilco record uh with a loose fur record made on top of it and <laughs> loose fur was was glenn the drummer jeff yeah. and jim o'rourke the producer mixer uh, that they brought in to ultimately mix the record. So, you know, I, uh, and that's one, you know, a lot of fans have written saying, how come you left this out? You know, it, like, it's it, like, I forgot or something, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, I can't really, I can't really tell you. And, and, and so 
once I liberated myself from from trying to be demonstrate the making of this record chronologically, I was able to kind of put it in some loose buckets. And I knew you weren't going to sit down and listen to eight CDs at once, although you know you might because you're like that. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I guess but, you've known me long enough to know that's true. Yeah, I suppose. But I, you know, I I wanted you to be able to take you know disc four and take it in the car and have a really good listening experience. So, um, but yeah, I, I you know I I listened to all the stuff that had been bootlegged and circulated, and I just you know there's there's things that are just kind of redundant mix wise like oh they changed the eq on the bass you know it's like you don't need that track too on here you really need things that show growth towards the final record in the process yeah and i think that's so. what what makes this so fascinating is because you really do hear the differences between you know the early parts uh, of their mm -hmm. formation to what they finally did and it's like mm -hmm. You wonder, well, is that the process for everybody? It probably not, but it's like, <laughs> uh, but it, but it, I mean, it's 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 really fascinating to me that yeah. at the end of it, that this is the product that you have. I mean, you have this album, and 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 I don't want to make us all about Wilco. We'll talk about some other projects that you're in too. But it, it it the thing that always sticks into my in in my head is Reprise Records hears this for the very first time, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's not. I mean. There's there's no particular hit on the record, but taken right. as but taken as a whole, how do you drop this band when clearly this is this is a major artistic statement here that confounds me how they could have been so off the mark about what they were trying to do. Yeah, it's a product of the time and and what was going on at Warner's at the time. I mean, there was you know a shakeup in in leadership there, certainly in A and R. And also they were looking for third eye blind, you know, they were, I mean, think back to that era, right. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're in the late nineties, early two thousands. And so, you know, what was on the radio, you know, they were, they were looking for that. And then, you know, here comes Wilco with, I'm trying to break your heart and, you know, the Conant project, you know, freaky sounds. <laughs> and I was like, that's not on the radio. And, you know, I'm, I'm surprised in some ways, you know, they in the day they got compared, this record got compared a lot to uh, Radiohead. And, um, you know, for, for some reason, when, when Radiohead plopped down at Parlophone Capital, which is where I was at Capital, you know, nobody w was booting them off the label, you know? Yeah. And, and it was, you know, it was maybe not as unstable an environment, you know, in, on the business side, but um, I think they were just looking for different things. You know, there was just different kind of corporate pressures. Um, I, I love the quote um, that Jeff said, he, um, the guy at Reprise said, every time you send this record to us, it's worse. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that's got to be good. I got to listen to that. <laughs> I do want to talk about some of the other things going on in Omnivore, because some of these, you know, we, mm. we've talked before about what Omnivore really is. And in, and in many ways, it it it, you know, it it like finds pieces of history, and then you know, brings them back into the light again. the The one thing that I saw that I listened to the other day, which I thought was absolutely fascinating, was the typewriter tapes with Janis Joplin and Yorma oh, uh, yeah. It's Like you know, this is from uh, from 1964. This is before Jefferson yeah. Airplane, before Big Brother and the Holding Holding Company, and you're just hearing yeah. the two of them 
and it's it's phenomenal. Tell tell me about yeah. that because I I I found that to be just you know just jaw dropping. <laughs> it's really cool. Um, I was so pleased to be able to work on that. Um, it, it had long been a tape. Uh, you know, it was just those the two of them rehearsing, and Yorma's wife was typing in the background, right? So that's why it's called the typewriter tapes. Um, and it had long been a bootleg. I mean, I had probably three or four different versions of it on cassettes throughout the years, you know, being the little bootleg tape trader that I was. <laughs> um, and it, it didn't sound great, you know? Yeah. And um, so we had the opportunity um, to, to work on it. And, you know, it's, it is 2022 last year when we were working on it and technology has gotten to the point. I mean, you saw, let it be right. Yep. yep. The technology has gotten to the point now where, we could really get into the recording and make it releasable, you know, of, of releasable quality. And that had a lot to do with not removing the typewriter. Yep, that's part of the ambience of, of the recording, but maybe taking it back a notch in the room, in, in the, in the space mm-hmm. um, so that, um, you know, you can really focus on Yorma's guitar playing and Janice's vocals. And again, the recorder was set next to Yorma. So we had to kind of, I kind of look at it as moving the room uh, audio wise. Right. And so, um, you know, we, we gave it a, a shot and, you know, I wouldn't have put it out had I not felt it was completely listenable and releasable and would do her, her legacy. And, you know, he's, still with us and you know i i wanted to make him proud and and make sure that we do right by her legacy and it turned out great the things that that uh, that i got for it from it were you know you don't always hear how you know brilliant of a guitar player he is like in the jefferson airplane stuff because it's right they're they're playing you know band pieces here it's just the two and here it is just the two of them and it's just like yeah it's so stripped down and intimate it's like wow that would that's Considering it's 1964, it's yeah, just remarkable. And and it really demonstrates where where their um, influences are rooted musically, you know. So yeah, it really definitely. is it, it really is a a, a nice early look at uh, from whence they came. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things I was uh, I was really happy about a couple of weeks ago, I had a chance to talk to uh, to Victor DiLorenzo from uh, oh, the Victor. Violent Femmes, and yeah. who by the way had nothing but but glowing things to say about you. And, you know, we talked about, we talked about our shared Milwaukee connection, uh, you know, them playing at the Oriental and and the Downer theater. I used to live, uh, you know, right, you're right off a downer. So I, I was literally could see the theater down from my apartment window. And we, and we talked about the night crickets and that album, which, which Omnivore uh, was a part of with, you know, him and, and, and David Haskins from Bauhaus and, Loving yeah. Rockets and uh, Darwin Miners, and I, I just thought, man, what a what a great record this is. You know, he was he was very very grateful that you guys were willing to work with him on a, on a new project. When you know you're mostly known for re-releases, this was something new, and and you don't normally do newer music unless it's something you believe in. And this was one yeah. of those things. Tell tell me about that. Yeah. Well, when he sent us the record, myself and my partners really loved it. And, you know, when we do new releases, which we do uh, very few of because we're not necessarily equipped to do it because we do, you know, historical and catalog stuff really is our area of expertise. 
and it's really hard to um even you know okay so we'll, sometimes <laughs> we'll release an album by established artists this one was hard because it wasn't the violent femmes it wasn't bauhaus it was night crickets and it's so hard uh and so um from a marketing perspective to explain who night crickets are but we decided to take a shot at it and you know i i think it's an amazing record and i i i we're trying everything to figure out how to explain to people what this is and who this is because i i, I wanted to do great <laughs> it's really it's it's an uphill battle yeah. and this is why we don't do so much new music because it's just it's a it's a different sort of marketing story to be told i think what's what's difficult about it is if people are aware of Bauhaus and they're aware and, and yeah. they're aware of violent femmes, it's kind of hard to imagine the two of them melding together until yeah. you realize that what they've done is they've actually, this is not a project for them. This is a band. In fact, they're already talking about doing a second record or, or have started sure. putting together a second record, yeah. but it really does sound like a band that knows exactly what they're doing. And when you're hearing yeah. it, you're like, no, this doesn't sound weird at all. It, it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. We all thought it was great. I wish, you know, 20,000 other people thought it was great. <laughs> let's find them. Yes, let's get to the bottom of that. The other thing I want to talk to you about, I contacted you last year because I knew Omnivore was releasing a bunch of stuff from Jonathan Richmond. Oh, yeah. And, and the Modern Lovers. And I thought, well, you know, I, I've tried to go through many different sources to see if I could book an interview with Jonathan Richmond, which, you know, he just doesn't want to do interviews. And that's and that's fine. So I contacted Jerry Harrison instead, and we talked about him. <laughs> that, was, uh -huh. <laughs> that, was, that was a whole lot more fun. But yeah, yeah. Uh, another another Wisconsin guy. Another Wisconsin guy. But you know, this is stuff that uh, that Jonathan Richmond released after he broke up the original Modern Lovers with Jerry and uh, David Robinson and Ernie Brooks. And you know, the guy's career is is a very unique and very unusual one. And mm -hmm. I don't want to say it's 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 a difficult catalog, but it's if you go and listen to that first Modern Lovers record, and then you go out and buy some of his other things, it's it's right. something totally different. Do you was that a challenge? I mean, it's not that the music is bad; the music is actually kind of fun, and and it's got a sense of humor, but it's different. Yeah. Well, you know the the record that we know of as the first record was not really a record, right? Right. It was a set of demos. You know, everything that came after is sort of Jonathan on his way to being Jonathan, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> which is, as you say, it's he, you know, he is a unique individual. And, um, you know, you, you you sign up for the whole thing. Right. I mean, the first time I saw him was at uh, Century Hall, probably on the Jonathan Sings tour. And I, I walked out of that show and I was like. Ah, is this guy for real? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm like, what did I just see? I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure this out. And I would go back, I would get, you know, other records. I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm, is he putting me on? You know, like, what, what am I missing? Right. And then I finally just realized I'm not missing anything. I just need to enjoy the little dinosaur or, you know, the song about the insect, yep. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's what it is. And, um, I've come to, um, you know, really appreciate, uh, his perspective, if you will, his way through the world. Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's, it's, 
you know, he's, he's really um, his own little treasure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but is it hard for us? No, he's got a dedicated audience of people who, who, you know, absolutely love him. It's, it's interesting when you, when you talk to people about Jonathan Richmond, mm-hmm. you know, they all say the same thing that, that they, you know, they love his music, but there's always this hesitation. Like, do I want to say everything I'm thinking or do I just want to <laughs> say what I think yeah. you want to hear me think? And, and it's, yeah. it's, it, it, and again, it's, you know, you're right. The first album is is a, a collection of of demos, but damn, what a yeah. great collection of demos! Oh, it's that was. great. It's I, great, and and you, you know, it. I think you just have to go to 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 Jonathan's space and share that with him. And if you do, it's a very rewarding experience. I no, I I think that's I think that's accurate. If you if you give mm-hmm. it if you give it the chance to land, it's a lot of fun, and you'll be thinking about abominable snowmen in the market and you know martian <laughs> landings and, and you'll be thinking of the whole thing and it's like yeah do you think at one point is this guy pulling my leg no this is this is what he does no. and he does it very and, well and, yeah and live you're in you're in that zone he's such a dynamic performer and um and it's it's such a warm experience the last time i don't know if it was the last time it was one of the last times i saw him i was in l.a totally off the beaten path kind of venue in Eagle Rock, I think. And um, we got to the venue kind of early to say hello, and then we're going to go to dinner. And, um, you know, we said he hello, and he wasn't talking because he was going to sing that night. So he just nodded and did his, did, did his communications however he could. <laughs> and then uh, we went away to dinner, and I'm like, wow, nobody's here. I, you know, I wonder if it's the venue. It's, you know, it's out of the way. We went, we grabbed a quick bite and came back. It was still kind of empty. Like five minutes before the show started, people were out on the street. It was packed, you know? Yeah. So he, you know, there's, there's just, there's this audience for him. And, um, you know, when it comes to live shows, I love being in those spaces where an audience loves an artist or an art so much that it's just, you know, you're there with all your best friends. You just haven't met them yet. And to me, that's what it feels like being at a Jonathan show. I'm like, oh, I know you. You know, it's like <laughs> we we could be friends. <laughs> <laughs> now, I don't say that to people because that's weird and creepy. Yeah, but but it's, um... <laughs> but it's but it's true. It's absolutely true. Yeah. But Omnivore has released the uh, I think it's the first four albums from from '76 to '83, up through Jonathan sings. Yeah, up through Jonathan sings. Yeah. So, Good luck trying to find those records until until now. It's been a minute, yeah. yeah. You know they they um they were available in Europe for a while, but you know I just and we you know we did them. We didn't mess around with bonus tracks or anything. We issued them just the way Jonathan intended, mm-hmm. and just just to get them back in print so they were available. That was more of like uh, do, doing the record community uh, uh like that. That was a service thing. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Jonathan's got to be in print. <laughs> I, think, I, I think another band that, that kind of falls in that category and you've also just released another of their uh, records is NRBQ. You just guys, you oh, guys yeah. have just released uh, Tiddlywinks from 1980, I think, 80, 81, somewhere around there. Yeah. 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 That's an, that's another band that, that uh, has this cult following. And I know like around new England, whenever they play, you know, they get you know, real sizable crowds of real yeah. dedicated fans. And that's a, it's like one of those bands. It's like you know, how does 
how do people not know them? How how is this music so great that that it's not you know it's it's so enjoyable that's like yeah how has this been lost on people? Yeah, growing up in the Midwest, I you know I I didn't have any context for them, right? Because right. they were very much an East Coast band. Like if I'd grown up you know in Philly or something, I probably they probably would have been part of my DNA, right? Um, but, uh, the rest of the country, you know, and I think unless you had a certain, um, I, I think your ears come to a place and your, your musical sort of education and, and acumen where, um, you kind of graduate to listening to things in a different way. And then, you know, like we were talking about entry points and things, you know, like the, the person that gave me my very first vinyl copy of Astral Weeks, well, first copy of Astral Weeks, he's like, you're probably not going to get this yet, but don't <laughs> give it away. Don't throw it away. Just keep listening. Yeah. And he was right. You know, I kept listening and I'm like, nah, nah, nah. And then one day it was like, <sighs> my head exploded. And I was like, oh, you know, and I think like NRBQ is like that, right? Um, they are so musically sophisticated and um you know if but but you know you would think that the joy in their music would reel you in but it's it's finding that entry point and i think you know songs like me and the boys that were sort of hits and you know they had a couple of those where um those those could have been you know the gateway for some people they have such a vast catalog that i i just think it's uh, it might be intimidating to some people um, especially if you haven't seen them, because if you've seen them, you just want to get up and dance and, and, you know, cause you're there with all your best friends again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I find myself liking those kinds of bands more and more like the ones, yeah. you know, there's, there's, there's some kind of weird ownership you have of this is my band and nobody else's. And I know this, I know this band inside and out and, and I'm indignant that not enough people know it, but the last thing I want yeah. to have happen is have everybody suddenly know it and take it away from me. <laughs> so you know, I bet the artists would like that they get paid. <laughs> yeah, I know. But 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 like that's a that's a band that you can you could claim that. Uh you know like yeah. XTC is one of my favorites. That's another band. Yeah. Like you either know yeah. it or you don't. You know, there's there's a there's a cultish feeling about it. Uh a couple of years ago I took my daughter to see Sparks in Boston. Oh yeah. It's another <laughs> I love Sparks, but it's like it's yeah. like you know, where do you dive into that? You know, it's like you know, where sure. where do you start? Because they're, they're all over the map. But then we go to the show, and it's like the, you have a bunch of seventy year old people just dancing like it's the best day of their yeah. lives. And it was it was losing so much, minds. and it was yeah they were losing their minds, and 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 I was too. It's too bad that more people are not more musically explorative, and they you know they yeah. they, they, they kind of get into a rut. They think, well, you know, I've been listening to Skinnerd. Since 1974, <laughs> doggone it! I'm going to listen to it till the day I die. Yeah. And they and there's a fear of, or a hesitation of, of branching out to see what else is out there in the world. So, when you hear like an NRBQ, well, you, where do you want to start? You start mm -hmm. with that one step. And I think uh, right. I hope that's one of those bands and projects that works for you because that's a band that definitely deserves a second look by everybody. Oh, we'll we'll always support them, and they're just. You know, almost everybody we work with are completely lovely humans. You know, I, I don't want to, I you know, I I spent thirty years at major labels getting yelled at, so I you know I don't I don't I don't need that anymore. So I'm 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 working with uh, 
uh, artists I, I love and, you know, as people and I love their art, but, you know, almost all the bands we've been talking about have a deep bench of records. And I, I think that, I think that can be intimidating to some people. I think that that can, you know, you, you and I are not average listeners. No, right? that's, that's definitely true. We, we prioritize music. And so there are people who love movies the way that we love music. And, you know, for me, I'll watch a movie and I'll enjoy it or not. And then I will promptly forget it. You know, I mean, I'm like, mm -hmm. you know, actors and actresses can fall out of the sky on top of me. And I'll be like, get off of me. I, I don't know who you are. <laughs> um, but, you know, I can tell you who what the drummer was on the 1957. Right. Right. And, and so I think the <laughs> artists that we're talking about are people that you come to when you really, um, you really care about music. You prioritize it in your life and, and you find your way to these things because it really is great art, you know, and, and, but it might take a minute for an average listener to make that leap and they probably don't. And that's, that's, that's okay too, I guess, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I wish we all loved the coolest stuff that you and I love. <laughs> But you know, I, but we're not. But we're not saying that in a condescending way. No, I was just going to say music much. serves different. <laughs> right, music serves different purposes for people. Yeah, you know, and and so if you know if you like stuff to listen to to just work out, like I was at the gym this morning, um, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> uh, that's great. That's that's one thing to to listen to a certain kind of music for. That's fabulous. It's not, you know, you and I uh, have have different uses for it. <laughs> Probably true. So what else? Yeah. I mean, what else you guys uh, are you guys working on? I know that there's more Buck Owen stuff um, for Record Store Day. The um, it's a, a woman named Victoria Hallman. Think back in your hee haw viewing as a child. <laughs> and Victoria Hallman was a hee haw honey. Oh, OK. So in 1981, um, Buck produced a record by Victoria Hallman, and it never came out. And she never got the tapes. And the tapes didn't exist um, with the Buck Owens Foundation. We looked. Um, she got in touch because a collector found the acetate for the record. I think, I want to say it was at a yard sale, I think. So we have restored this. Wow. And finally, after all of these years, Victoria's Buck Owens produced record is going to be released on Record Store Day. Now, is, is she still <laughs> is she still with us? She is. Really? Uh, yeah, she came out for the mastering session. She brought the acetate, which we freshly transferred. And um, Mike did his his magic to it. He's one of the best restoration guys on the planet. It sounds fabulous. So um, that has to be unbelievable for for someone who's who has something that's been lost for years and years to to hear yeah. it again. And that must have been amazing yeah. for her. Oh, it's and and it was so much fun. She came and when when she was out and we were doing the studio work and stuff, we took her out that night because it was her birthday. So <laughs> I mean, it was just it was so much fun to hang with her. And um, she's around, and I can't wait for her to be able to start talking about it. You know, because she's just over the moon that it's coming out and you know i it's just it would have been another one of those records that would have been lost and you know here's a 
a piece of Buck Owens history. And, um, you know, Victoria is here to tell us all about it. That's awesome. That's yeah. great. Well, so listen, that's, that's I, I know I've, I've eaten up enough of your day. I know you got projects <laughs> to get to, you got phone calls to make, but I do appreciate you taking the time. And you know what? I mean, the, the, I've talked to other people, people that we, we went to school with and everyone just, they're so proud of the way you're just killing it. And, uh, everyone's applauding Cheryl Provelsky right now. So well, congratulations. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that now, you know, the, the bar has been set high. I, I have to win another Grammy so I get to come on again. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I love talking tunes with you. <laughs> hey, anytime. I, I love it. I love it too. And it, it's, it, you know, it's so funny. I did a, an interview not that long ago with John Rubley. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to Marquette a couple of years, uh, mm-hmm. you know, a little yeah. bit younger than us. It went by like in 10 minutes. I mean, we probably yeah. talked for an hour in 10 minutes, but it went by like, like that. And it was just, that's awesome. He's doing great. Damn, I need to hook up with him. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's kind of just like you remember him. Uh, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but no, he very, it was, it was a really wonderful conversation I had with the guy and it was, it was, it was cool. So, wow. Big fun. Yeah. Well, listen, thanks again. We will talk Thank soon. You. I'm sure there's you other bet. sure there's other Grammys coming up. And and listen, if it gets to it when you don't win a Grammy for a while, maybe I'll have you back <gasps> again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be very kind. Um, <laughs> but I'll do my I'll do my best to bring bring one home so we can talk about another project. <laughs> Wonderful, Cheryl. Thank right. you. Have a good afternoon. Thank you. Take care. You too. Take Bye. care. To find out more about the sort of things the Omnivore is releasing, go to their website omnivorerecordings.com. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to like it, share it, review it. Tell all your friends about it. You can reach me at BaxAtRock102.com. I would love to hear what you think. And thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.